Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to another edition of the College 12 Pack. I'm your host, Patrick Kahn, from the collegesportswire.usatoday.com. Uh, with me each and every week, Tyler Natuno. I want to go ahead and apologize for butchering your la- your name last week. I was trying to avoid from butchering DJ Alphabet Soup's name, and I, I just went ahead and butchered yours instead. Uh, but welcome to another episode. Uh, Tyler, we've got a lot to get into today. We had a college, uh, college World Series coming up. Uh, the Super Regionals got wrapped up this past weekend. Uh, we had some tough matchups, and then we had some blowouts. Uh, we had some teams that just – Proved that they weren't quite ready for Omaha. What an experience. So uh, we're going to start with your neck of the woods, though, as we recap the Super Regionals. LSU just runs right through Kentucky. Uh, just too much firepower on that team. Uh, just just looking back at the two games, obviously game one, uh, blowout 14 to nothing. They win the second game 8-3. to three. Uh, Any quick takeaways from that series? Uh, you know, LSU just looks like, you know, the team that we thought they were going to be earlier in the year when they were the you know unanimous preseason number one team and number one team throughout the season. You know, had to deal with a seven-hour rain delay on Saturday night. Ultimately played really late, even local time. But they got, you know, big 14 nothing win and then looked pretty solid in game two. It was a little tight. They pulled away in the ninth. But overall, really solid uh, weekend. Their starting pitching was really good. Their bullpen was great. Um, so really getting hot at the right time as they go into the yeah, I mean, th- that's the right time to be hot as they go into the College World Series. Uh, another series that was kind of a blowout was a quick two-game set. Uh, we had TCU uh, taking out the, the Darlings, Indiana State. No, no Cinderella story for them. Uh, and then also we had uh, your team, the Florida Gators, who ran through South Carolina after getting swept by them uh, in the regular season, uh, you know, Really just, again, another team that's kind of catching fire at the right time. We saw what they had to do after they lose game one in the regionals um, and or game two against Texas Tech. They lose that game, but they go on. Uh, they beat Tech twice, and then they go into South Carolina series and, and just sweep them away. Um, you know, I think TCU, Florida, those are teams that we expect to be there each and every year. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Florida's kind of, I think, in a similar position to where LSU was, where, you know, a lot of talent on the team, a lot of expectations coming into the year, sort of hit a dip uh, in the middle, but everything seems to be clicking right now. Florida's pitching, with the exception of that loss to Texas Tech, the first time has been phenomenal all tournament long. Uh, And the offense is starting to wake up, too. And when it's on, it's the best lineup in the country. So that's a hot team. And TCU, you know, played two tough games against Indiana State. Neither were, uh, you know, particularly just like, big blowouts, but win comfortably in that series over the weekend, got the added advantage of being able to host in Fort Worth. You know, that series was supposed to be in Terre Haute, uh, but they had prior accommodation or uh, prior event schedule, couldn't accommodate a super regional, unfortunately. So they had to go on the road and it didn't work. Yeah. And then we, and then we can head on over to Charlottesville. 
Uh, Duke wins game one, gets blown out in game two and three. Uh, Virginia just shows the experience. Duke not quite ready for the big, you know, to be on the big stage yet. I mean, but I think that's a program that's heading in the right direction. But again, Virginia is just one of those teams that it seems like each and every year uh, they're they're a strong contender to go to the College World Series and even win it. Yeah, Duke came really close to to making it to Omaha for the first time in I think like fifty years or something like that. It's been a really long time. Uh, but you know, you just see why having experience in the postseason is so important uh, when you get this far into the tournament. Knowing how to manage your pitchers, knowing how to how to deal with elimination games—that's obviously something this Virginia program is very familiar with. Um, and you know, they they almost uh, swept the series. Actually, game one to win it, Duke had to rob a very near walk-off home run in the bottom of the ninth. They were able to snag that ball just over the wall and force game three. But you know, a Duke program, like you said, on the rise, looking good this season, but just didn't quite have the juice to get the win in Charlottesville. And then talking about experience, we have Tennessee over in Hattiesburg. You know, they go. They lose one of those the, the first game. Uh, they got to win game two to force a game three, and they end up winning that game as well. Uh, so you talk about a, a team that, again, relies on so much of their experience. They're a team that's been there. I mean, last year they were the number one team for pretty much most of the year. Um, unfortunately, you know, they don't win the championship. It does stay in the SEC. Uh, but, you know, you look at them, um, and then obviously here in a second, we're going to get into this year's darlings, uh, Oral Roberts. But, you know, what – I mean, what can we say about Tennessee? is a team that when you think you've got them cornered, they just find a way. Yeah, I think maybe the gutsiest performance of the week was from Tennessee. You know, they really just went in and on the road against a team that was in the Super Regional round last year. You know, they've had a disappointing season in a lot of ways. Went in preseason top three, didn't really work out that way, but they were phenomenal. Uh, you know, found them with their back against the wall for a lot of the week. They had to deal with a, you know, game one got postponed, had to pick it up the next day. They lost, overcame a 4 nothing lead in game two. Just, like I said, a really gutsy performance for Tennessee this weekend to get to Omaha. And then we got the Oregon Ducks who beat Oral Roberts in the first game 9-8. to eight. Ball to him eight to seven in game two, and then eleven to six in the decisive game three. Um, and now Oral Roberts is heading to Omaha. Uh, you know, there's going to be a lot of a lot of people watching them. You know, could they be, you know, a, a TCU in football who went to the championship game? Can they be like, you know, San Diego State who played for a national championship in basketball? Uh, is Oral Roberts another one of these teams that maybe we can see in a championship game? An, an unlikely team. Yeah, I mean, you very well could. A 50-win team, uh, like we talked about last week, was pretty clearly underseeded. And this has been a tournament, historically, that's been pretty friendly to underdogs. You know, we saw Coastal Carolina win a national title in 2016. So, yeah, absolutely, I think they can make some noise. They had, a, I think, the most ex- maybe the most exciting Super Regional of the weekend. You know, first two games against Oregon, traded walk-offs, won pretty decisively in Game 3, though. So, yeah, they come in with a lot of momentum. Been really impressive so far in this tournament. We had a Wake Forest team, number one team in the country. Uh, they've kind of been there all year, right, just right below LSU until they ultimately took over. Blasted an Alabama team uh, who fired their coach earlier this year due to those gambling uh, situation going on. Uh, and then, obviously, we had Texas, Stanford playing you know, a close game. And there might have been some controversial calls in game three, uh, but ultimately Stanford, another team that who is habitually uh, – makes a trip to Omaha. Uh, they're, they're back in it. Uh, any quick takeaways from those two games before we kind of preview the College World Series? 
Yeah, not a ton from the Wake one. They, you know, had a bit of a tough game in uh, the first one, but they really broke it open in game two. They won 22 to five. And, uh, you know, Texas Stanford really just, you know, Stanford's a team that doesn't have necessarily the pitching depth that some of these other teams in Omaha do. And that's why Quinn Matthews with the 156 pitch, 16 strikeout performance on Sunday night was so insane. I mean, whether that's, you know, ethical pitching usage is a different question, but obviously that's what the team needed to get that series win this weekend. So it worked out. It does work out, and now we are heading to the College World Series. Uh, you know, game one, we're going to kick it off, Oral Roberts-TCU. Uh, you know, I think that's a, a fantastic matchup. Uh, you know, it's really, you know, again, we're talking about the underdog uh, going up against a, a TCU program that, like we've said, has been here time and time again. Um, I'm just curious if, if that magic continues uh, past game one. Yeah, I think I certainly think it could. I mean, you know, this is a TCU team that uh, has, you know, been a really good team for a lot of the season. But, you know, I don't think they're a team that's, you know, inherently been a lot better than Oral Roberts. Like, I, I totally could see Oral Roberts going on a deep run. And like I said, you know, this this is a tournament where there's precedent for teams like that, you know, coming in as a as a non-nationally seeded team, as a major team and making a deep run. So, yeah, Absolutely. Um, obviously going to be tough with Florida and Virginia and that side of the bracket, but you know, it's definitely doable. Yeah. Game two, uh, two very veteran teams, teams that have been here, Florida versus Virginia. Uh, you know, Florida's got a lot of talent, obviously, uh, you know, they got players that are going to be in the MLB draft. Uh, really when you look at with those two programs, uh, I, I feel like that's anybody's ball game. It's if you get the good college matchup, honestly, or the, the good pitching matchup in that game, uh, can you take advantage, get to their bullpen early, uh, is really what it's going to come down to. So, yeah, two teams, no strangers to playing each other in Omaha. Uh, it's happened before. They're pretty frequently here. Um, and it's, it's an interesting contrast of styles because you've got a Virginia team that's one of the better pitching staffs in the country versus a Florida team that's probably the best lineup in the country. And as good as Florida is with guys like Wyatt Langford and Jack Caglione, Josh Rivera, you know, we've seen good pitching staffs figure them out at different times this season and be able to really, really shut them down. We even saw it at the beginning of the regional, those first two games against Florida A&M and Texas Tech, the offense was kind of struggling to get going. So I think the, the real question in that one is going to be, can this Virginia pitching staff, you know, keep those bats cold? And, and if they can, they're probably going to win. And if they can't, it's they're probably not. I think it's that simple. And then over in bracket two on Saturday, we got Stanford, Wake Forest, and then Tennessee, LSU. This is a matchup we've seen a bunch. Uh, we're going to see it again. Uh, again, you know, I think that these are two really well-put-together teams, uh, two veteran coaches who know what to do. Uh, I think the interesting thing is to see how Wake Forest does with the Stanford team, who you said doesn't have the greatest pitching staff. Uh, can they slow down that Wake Forest offense? Absolutely. I mean, uh, you know, this is going to be the toughest test Wake has faced in the tournament so far. But at the same time, it is a team that has struggled, uh, you know, from a, from the from a pitching perspective against a team with so many good hitters like Wake. That's going to be a really, really tough matchup for Stanford. Um, I mean, I, I think I would certainly give the early edge right now for Wake uh, just because of that. And I'm going to go here. Bold prediction. My championship matchup, LSU versus Oral Roberts. I think that would be a fantastic way uh, to wrap up the College World Series. But th that's that's who I'm going with. Bracket one, bracket two, Oral Roberts comes out, beats a lot of talented teams, and, and they play LSU for the title. 
I think I'm going to say Florida and Wake Forest in the title series. I think that's my pick. I'm going to go in chalk. Well, all righty. So there you have it. There are our World Series picks. We'll see which one of us is right and uh, which one will be eating a little crow uh, by the time that is all said and done. All right, so now we're going to dive into our main topic that we want to discuss this week on the College 12-pack. We're talking about the 10 best games, our best games, of the 2023 college football season. Now, I have five games. Tyler has five games. Now, these are in chronological order. They are not in the order of what we feel is the best game. But, Tyler, I'm going to let you kick it off this week. What game was number one on your list chronologically? Yeah, so we're starting at week one. I think uh, it's a it's an action-packed first week of the season, but I think this is probably the best game of the week. Uh, it's the rematch between LSU and Florida State. Played to kick off last season in New Orleans. This time they're facing off down in Orlando. And last year's game was a weird one. Uh, you know, FSU ultimately wins. Uh, LSU has some special teams problems, has an extra point blocked. The very last second uh, cost them the win. Both teams go on to have much better seasons than I think either really anticipated. And now they enter this year with a lot more uh, momentum and a lot more around both of them. It's probably going to be a top 10 matchup going to have serious college football playoff implications. I mean, you know, both these teams have tough matchups down the stretch. Loser of this game really doesn't have a very big margin for error. I think especially if you're LSU and lose this game, that becomes even tougher if you're trying to make a playoff run. So, you know, I, I think this just of all the games in the first week, I don't think there's any that uh, we're going to be talking about the significance of come November as much as this one. Yeah. You know, you have Jordan Travis, Jaden Daniels, these offenses are locked and loaded. They've been pouring in the transfers, both teams. Uh, who wins? Brian Kelly versus Norvell's team. Uh, that's a really good matchup. Uh, that's hard to top week one. Uh, I'm going to go with my game, my number one game on here, Texas versus Alabama in Tuscaloosa. It's going to be much different than last year because they don't have a Bryce Young. They don't have Jameer Gibbs. You know, There's a lot of questions about Alabama, and most of it falls on the offensive side of the ball. You know, who's the quarterback? What kind of system are we going to see? You know, which wide receiver steps up? Which running back kind of steps into that mold? But the big question is, is Texas ready for the SEC? And we're going to find out real quick. We saw last year it was a close game. Uh, But if Quinn Ewer stays healthy in that game, they probably win or at least have a really good shot to win. And they, even with Hudson Card, they had a shot. But looking at that game, for me, that that's my biggest matchup early season. I really want to see these teams, two teams go at it. Can Steve Sarkeesian beat his old boss, Nick Saban, in Titletown? Absolutely. One of the most interesting matchups earlier in the year. And I was just going to say what you said. You know, if Quinn Ewers stays healthy in that game last year, Texas probably wins it. I think both of us probably expect that this Texas team is going to take at least a bit of a leap this year. So this is the time to do it. I think Sarkeesian, time to go get a statement win. Yeah, if you looked at right now on paper, uh, the Texas offense blows them away uh, when you look at what they have. Xavier Worthy, A.D. Mitchell, uh, you're talking about Jordan Whittington returning. Isaiah Nair, who we didn't even get to see last year because he tore his ACL. There's plenty of offense. All right, Tyler, who we got game two on your list? Yeah, so I'm actually just now realizing I broke with chronological order a little bit here, but it's all week one, so we're sticking, we're sticking within week one here. Colorado TCU, and, you know, probably not going to be an actual very good football game. Uh, At least, you know, maybe it'll be, but TCU probably going to be the heavy favorite there. But I think from a narrative perspective, there's maybe not a more interesting game all season just because, you know, we're kicking off the year 
obviously, you know, everyone knows Deion Sanders at Colorado really pushing the, uh, the new roster management uh, tools you're allowed, really pushing that to the absolute limit. I think they had, what, like 50 guys transfer out since he took over, something like that, maybe even more. Uh, so going to be a really new-look team. They went 1-11 last year. Going to be fascinating to see what kind of leap, if any, they can take with Dion this year. And then taking on a team in TCU that came out of nowhere last year, made a run to the national title, but they lose a lot. They lose a lot of key pieces on both sides of the ball. Where does where does this team fit under Sonny Dykes in the new Big 12? Is this team set to dominate, or was it a flash in the pan sort of thing? I think I just think from a narrative perspective, I'm just fascinated by this game. Yeah, the last year against TC, uh, TCU against Colorado, Chandler Morris was named starting quarterback. Gets hurt, Max Duggan comes in and doesn't relinquish it. Runs all the way to the national championship game. Obviously, they got blown out in that game, but the fact that they even made it to the national championship game just speaks volumes to what. Sonny Dykes was doing there in Fort Worth. And, yeah, you talked about it, Colorado. And, you know, what I'm really interested, I want to see how they use Travis Hunter. Um, Is he going to play offense and defense? Like, how does – you know, he's probably their best pass catcher, but he's also probably their best corner. You know, I want to see how they're going to use him and and, and maybe see a lot of two-way play from him. You know, we'll find out if they have some packages and whatnot. But, yeah, bringing Dion, you know, into Colorado. And and now – with all the talk around the Big 12 and expansion and Colorado coming back, this could be a future Big 12 matchup between TCU and Colorado uh, early on, you know, week one. Uh, but I'm going to switch gears. I'm going to go back to the ACC. This is my number two game on my list. Florida State, Clemson. Obviously, you got a Florida State team who, you know, surprised a lot of people. Like we talked about, Tim, they won 10 games. Uh, they lost three games in a row, but were able to right the ship, go all the way to the Cheez-It Bowl, which will now be called the Pop-Tarts Bowl, uh, won that game against Oklahoma. Uh, they look like a team, like you said, who can make a, a run to the college football playoff. To get there, they're going to have to get through Clemson. Um, you know, and, and Clemson's got a new look, you know, Kate Klubnick running, uh, running the offense, but, you know, it's not a Brandon Streeter offense. Uh, we, we got Garrett Riley coming over from TCU to run that program. So, you know, at least on the offensive side of the ball. So I, I think this is a huge matchup with a lot of implications, whether it's ACC title or, or talking about the college football playoff, trying to get in that final four. No, I, yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a game that, I, you know, historically not really even that long ago was one of the premier matchups all season, you know, had had serious playoff implications. It's been a while since we've had a Florida State Clemson game with that kind of juice. Seems like we're going to get it this year. Um, it seems like the way we're shaping up, at least. All right, next game on your list. Are we going back to the SEC, Tyler? We are going back to the SEC and doing another rematch from last season. Probably one of the games of the entire season in college football, LSU-Alabama. You know, Brian Kelly wins that game year one, massive win see change in the SEC West. He wins that division his first year. Coming back in year two, I mean, you're going to hear a lot of hype about this LSU team being a potential college football playoff team, especially as we get closer to the season. And as we stand right now, I mean, I think they're a more, probably a more complete team than Alabama is. So, you know, this one's going to be, you know, it's a late season matchup. So obviously, I mean, all sorts of college football playoff and division race implications. And it's, you know, this one's going to be on the road in Tuscaloosa last year, LSU won it in Baton Rouge. So, Really interesting to me where, it, you know, can can Brian, can Brian Kelly pull it off again? I mean, if LSU wins this series, wins this game two years in a row, like, 
I don't know what that says about Alabama's reign in the SEC West, but, you know, I guess the SEC West is going to come to an end, but you know what I mean? Yeah. You know, that, and especially in, in this series that, you know, Nick Saban has dominated, uh, you know, since going to Alabama. Uh, there have been some mishaps here and there, but, you know, that's going to be huge. How, how does Malik Neighbors look in this game? Does Mason Taylor catch another game-winning two-point conversion? Those are the questions that I have. All right, but we're going to shift gears. We're going to go back to my neck of the woods in the Big 12 in the final Big 12 matchup between Texas, Oklahoma, Red River rivalry, Dallas, Texas, on the Texas State Fairgrounds. I have to say, regardless of how this game ended last year, 49 to nothing, uh, but let's be honest, Dylan Gabriel wasn't there, and his backup was not ready uh, for that stage, and, and Texas was able to take advantage but what are the changes that Brent Venables makes going into this year? That's going to be the big question. His calling card is defense. If he gives up another 49 points, they're going to – I don't know if he's going to make it back to Norman, Oklahoma uh, for that mid-October matchup in Dallas. No, you, mean, you hit the nail on the head there. I mean, Brett Venables, it's only year two, but really can't afford to, to not take a big step forward this year. And Texas, like we talked about, is poised to be a very good team, potentially. You got to find a way to at least be competitive in this game if you're, if you're Oklahoma. I mean, I'm not saying you're necessarily got to expect to win it, but it, it, can't be, it can't be anything like what happened last year. I mean, just there's, there's no question about it. I guess the only good thing is they don't have to worry about B. John Robinson this year. <laughs> True. All right, so game four, Pac-12. I know Tyler's been itching to talk about this game. Yeah, it's a matchup we haven't seen in a while. It's been since 2020, but I've got the late-season matchup between Oregon and USC uh, up, up in Eugene. You know, two potential Heisman contender quarterbacks in this game with Caleb Williams and Bo Nix. You know, I think winner of this game, especially with it being so late in the season, will probably be in a very good spot to push for a playoff spot. And I just think it's a game I'm really fascinated by, you know, games like we've seen Washington, Oregon, we've seen USC, Utah. I feel like this is one we just haven't seen as much of. And especially with both these uh, programs having new coaches now, I'm just, I'm really interested to see how this iteration is going to go down. Yeah. It's got to be one of those huge matchups, obviously because of the PAC 12, but you know, individually, how does this speak to the Heisman resume of Bo Nix of Caleb Williams? We know the offense. We know the players that are going to be in it. But that is going to be a huge matchup. I'm going to stay in the Pac-12, and I'm going to actually bring up a game that you just talked about. USC-Utah. This is a team that lost twice last year to Utah. Um, you know, and one was a shootout, and the other was not. Uh, and, and you look at what Utah was able to do when the Pac-12 go back um, to the Rose Bowl. Obviously, they lost again to the Big Ten. But that was a game that I expected USC to be in. Uh, but they didn't win, and uh, so I'm looking at that. Um, I'm looking at that game right now as a as a huge matchup this uh, this coming season. Yeah, I mean they played twice last year, and neither game went particularly well for USC. Their defense struggled in their games against the toughest teams last season, and they gave up I think like a combined 90 points in the two games against Utah last year something's got to go different. I mean, they got to figure out a way to stop them or they're not going to be, a, I mean, they're not going to be a playoff contending team again. They're going to be a very good team. That's not quite there. Absolutely. All right, Tyler, let's go into your last game. What is number five on your list? 
Yeah. So my last game is one that everyone kind of always has circled every single year. It's, it's, the, it's the game, you know, the, it's got Michigan, Ohio state and Michigan's won it back to back seasons. It, it, I mean, Ryan day is obviously a good coach. I don't think anyone would really dispute that, but we're, we already saw a little bit of anxiety about the situation with him from Ohio state fans last season. And they were arguably a timeout call on a fake punt away from winning a national title. So if they lose this for a third straight year, it's not going to be, I mean, it's just not going to be good. And also I think Michigan comes in probably as the team looking to be in a better spot. I mean, they're definitely have more continuity, at least on offense, bringing back JJ McCarthy and their two star running backs and Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Meanwhile, we don't even know who's going to be playing quarterback for Ohio state right now, at least for sure. I mean, they got to find a way. Like we've talked about teams just got to find a way. Ohio state's got to find a way to win this game. You can't, you can't lose to Michigan three years in a row. It's going to be a tough one considering everybody that's returning, you know, on the Michigan side, whether you talk about the two running back, Donovan Edwards, Blake Corum, obviously you've got, you know, JJ McCarthy coming back, but you know, Ohio state has some pretty big dogs returning. Uh, we, whether you talk about the running backs in Mayim Williams, Travian Henderson, uh, and then obviously the wide receivers. I mean, you talk about Emeka Egbuka and, and Marvin Harrison Jr., who's the best wide receiver in the country. Um, lots of firepower in this game. So I expect a high-scoring affair once again in the game. That's huge. All right, my fifth game doesn't get a lot of love as far as college playoff or any of those implications. I got to talk about Army-Navy. I mean, we talk about this. I love the fact that they get their own week. No other game is on. We talk about the different uniforms, the show that they put on, and obviously spending time watching football and, you know, paying tribute to the troops who allow us to do this uh, each and every day. I I think it's fantastic to watch these guys. Uh, But how do you feel about that game being on the list, Army-Navy, at the end of the year in December? That game's just, you know, it's always such a great spectacle. Um, it's always a lot of fun. And I think it's just one of the things that really shows why college football can be so great when a game between two teams that aren't, you know, relevant in the, the college football playoff race and the Heisman race and all these things, when they can play a game on prime time on national television and, and draw the interest it gets. I think that's great. You know, this series has been a bit streaky at times. Recent years have been competitive, though. The last uh, four games have been split. And it's pretty much, it seems like these games are always pretty competitive on the field. You know, maybe it's just a style of play thing, but it doesn't really matter whether one team comes in at 9-2 and two and the other comes in at 2-9. and nine. They always seem to play a good game of football. And who doesn't love service academy football? Talking about triple option. Well, we may not see a whole lot of that uh, moving forward. You know, there is a new head coach at Navy, so we're going to see kind of how that all plays uh, in the upcoming year. But that's our 10 games that we're looking forward to in the 2023 season and that's going to wrap up this week's edition of the college football pack with tyler natuno from lsu tigers wire i'm patrick on the senior editor of the college wires and we will check y'all next week when we start previewing some of these conferences as we get ready for the 2023 college football just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.